awesome. <laughs> Be praying for Critter. He's not feeling well this morning. Um, I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity uh, to preach. Uh, so if you would, take your Bibles with me and open up to Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, Proverbs 16. Critter is one of those guys that is definitely a planner, right? He put a lot of thought and energy into figuring out how to get his garage door uh, to go down when he hits that tennis ball. And usually we're, we're grouped into two different types of people, right? We have the people who plan and the people who wing it. How many of you would say that you are a planner type of a person? All right, so here's our planners. And how many of you would say you're the wing it type of person? All right, here's all the people that drive the planners crazy, okay? So it's, as, as we go through Proverbs, we, we see that the Bible talks a lot about plans and, and making plans, right? We see that Proverbs talks about managing your finances well, having a plan for your money so that you don't end up in debt. It talks about the, uh, the farmer that has a plan for his crops so that whenever harvest time comes, he'll be ready. Whenever winter time comes, he and his family will have something to eat. Uh, most of us in here don't have to worry about when to plant or when to harvest, though. Uh, but I think in our culture, we have plans for everything, right? You have to send your child to the right kindergarten so they can go to the right elementary school so that they can get into the right high school and hopefully they can get into the right college, right? And then you start your career, and then you realize you need to have a career plan. You start making some money, so you need a, a savings plan. If God blesses you with a spouse, then you have to start family planning. Then you continue on, and eventually you realize you need to start planning for retirement, right? We're so obsessed with, with, uh, with health that we plan our meals down to the calorie. Uh, we know exactly how many steps we need, we need to take in a day to meet our goals, right? We plan everything. But as we come here to Proverbs chapter 16, we'll see that plans are good, but plans are only helpful if the plan itself is good, right? If you have a bad plan, then it's better to not have a plan. It's, it's good to be someone who is a planner, but really your, your planning is only ever going to be as good as you are, right? If the planner is flawed, then your plan will be flawed as well. And so that's where Solomon here is, is going to take us. He's going to say, look, we might hit a home run every now and then, but overall, you and I are in great need of help. All right? I think we all would like to have a perfect plan all the time for everything, right? Uh, but the, the honest truth is that you won't, right? But the good news is, is that God does have a perfect plan for your life and for my life. And so Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, is going to give us some insight into how we can have perfect planning in our life. Um, so as we open up Proverbs 16, you'll, you'll notice that this is halfway through the uh, book of Proverbs. And for a chapter in Proverbs, this chapter mentions God more than any other chapter in Proverbs. And I thought that was pretty interesting because if, if the main gist of Proverbs 16 is is planning, then I think it's interesting that God is mentioned more here than in, in any other chapter in Proverbs. And to me, that tells me that God has something to say about it, but he also wants to be involved in our plans, right? God wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be part of the plans that you make, not just, you know, where are you going to go for lunch this afternoon, but the kind of plans 
that will change the entire trajectory of your life and your eternity. And so let's, let's look here together today. Uh, we'll kind of di- divide Proverbs 16 into a couple uh, different sections. And so the first thing we'll see is the leader of our plans. Who is going to be the leader of your plans? And really this boils down to, every point today is going to boil down to a, a battle between us and between God. All right, this is the battle for control. Who is going to have control? Who is going to have the main say in your life? So let's look at verses 1, 3, 5, 9, and 18 together. Proverbs 16, uh, verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 3, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Verse 5, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And finally, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Solomon starts this whole chapter that's focused on our plans. Uh, He's going to focus a lot on God, and he begins in verse 1, with a topic about God's sovereignty, right? So that's a whole message in and of itself, but quickly I just want to say that this chapter begins with the idea that God has ownership of us and our lives, right? God is ultimately in control, right? You and I can make all the plans we want. We can work our hardest to make sure our life turns out this way or that way, but at the end of the day, God has the final say, all right? At the end of the day, God is in control. And so the question is, we can either go along with God's loving control of our life, or we can try to fight against it the entire way. And spoiler alert, it's easier if you just allow God to control your life. So God has also given us this choice, right? So even though God is sovereign, even though God is over everything, even though God knows exactly what's going to happen, he's given you and I a choice. We can either choose to obey, or we can choose to say, you know what, I don't want God's control in my life. I want to be the one in control. And so Solomon is now going to compare and contrast those two types of people. So first, let's see the type of person that allows God to be in control. We read in verse 3, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. When God is the one in control of your life, he will succeed. You might not succeed, right? Your plans that you think the way your life should turn out, it doesn't always work that way, right? But when God is in control, when God is the author, when you give the reins of your life over to him, he has said, I will establish your plans. I will be the one that makes sure that what I want to happen in your life will happen. This doesn't mean that if we're a Christian and we say, okay, God, I want you to have control of my life, that everything that you plan is going to work out, uh, or that everything you want to happen in your life is going to happen just the way you want it to. But what it does mean is that if God is in control of your life, he's going to get you where he wants you to be. Right? God is not going to be surprised by the things that happen to you in your life. God's going to make sure that he takes you, his child, where he wants you to be. Uh, the Bible is full of, of planners, and plans that are good. Leaders who make good, good plans. But the question is not so much, are you planning something? But it's who is ultimately in control of those plans? 
What happens when life doesn't work out the way you wanted it to? Do you grasp desperately for control from God? What happens when the plan of God takes longer than you were expecting? Do you get impatient and say, look, God, I've, I've tried, I've waited, I've wanted to do it your way, but it's just taking too long. So now I'm going to say I'm in control. I want to be the one in charge of my destiny. It's, it's good to plan and dream and think ahead, but we must always be open to God-appointed changes in direction. You know, have you ever had your heart set on something only to have God take you a completely different way? Have you ever been so dead set, all right, this is the direction I'm going, I'm pretty sure this is what God wants for me, and then every single door closes and you end up being driven a completely different direction in life. Right, that is God trying to show you, look, I am in control, not you. Just submit your plans to me, and I will make sure that you are taken care of. Right, so this is a, a battle for control within us, right? Because we have this nasty thing called pride, right? That, that's in our, every single one of our hearts. And whenever God lovingly comes to us and offers to take control of our life, our natural knee-jerk response is no. I don't want to give up control, right? I want to know exactly what's going to happen. I want to make sure that what I want to happen is going to happen in my life. But the funny thing is, is that none of us really have any control over most of the things that happen to us in life, right? But God does, and God knows what's going to happen. And so we see also Solomon shows us the, the uh, dangers when we fight for that control, when we try to wrestle that control away from God. Look at verse 5. He says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And then verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So giving God control does not come easily to us, and he shows us here in really clear and strong language what he thinks of pride, right? It's an abomination to him. He hates pride. That's something you'll see in Proverbs over and over and over again, right? That God hates pride. Why? Why does God hate pride so much? It's because he wants what's best for us, right? God does not want to take control of our lives to deprive us of something. God wants to take control of our life to save us from ourselves, right? Because ultimately, even if you have plans that work out, at some point, your plans are going to fail, right? At some point, you're going to make a mistake. At some point, you're going to make the wrong decision. And God will lovingly be there to take us back when that happens, when we come to him, but God's saying, look, he's trying to save us the heartache, right? He's trying to save us the pain of experiencing the results of our own plans. I think the Bible has a really, really powerful illustration of this in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, there's the king Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon, the, the singular superpower of the ancient world. He had everything any man could ever want. He had accomplished anything a man could ever hope to accomplish. And so one day, one evening, he was walking across the roof of his palace. He was looking at the beauty of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. He had built this up. God had blessed his kingdom. There was peace. There was prosperity. There was success everywhere. And one evening, Nebuchadnezzar's walking across the roof of his palace, and he looks out and says, wow, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I have accomplished. 
Look at this amazing palace and city that I have built for my majestic glory. What the Bible says happened the moment he said that? It says that God caused Nebuchadnezzar to go insane. And he thought that he was an animal. And he lived in the fields with cows for seven years. All right? Seven years. The king of the superpower of the ancient world went crazy. You think he had plans for those seven years? You think he had other plans for those seven years? I really hope so. He, but he lifted himself up. He took the blessings of God and said, you know what? I did this. I'm responsible for this. This is all for me. He was full of pride, and God immediately humbled him. And after those seven years, the Bible says that when he finally came to his senses, what did he immediately do? He began to give praise and honor to God. That's what God does with our pride. He will make sure that our pride does not go unpunished. You know, it's always satisfying when you see uh, a really good athlete that's super proud fail, right? Because like, man, that guy's always full of himself, and then he ultimately fails, right? It kind of feels good to us because they're always boasting. They're always arrogant. They're always proud. Well, magnify that times infinity. That's how God sees us when we as people think that we are in control of our life, that we should be the ones in control of our life. I have a pretty good video that I think illustrates this well of what it looks like when you and I try to wrestle control away from God. Take a look at this. guy is us, okay? That guy is us, and we try to say, I want to be in control of my life. It kind of looked like he had it at first, right? He started off, he looked relatively stable, looked like, all right, this guy might, might be in control. But eventually he lost control, and he ended up face planting on the side of the road, right? That will be us. That is us. When we say, you know what, God? I've got this. You know what, God? I'm in control. I think my plans are better. I think my, my plan is faster. I think my way is the best way. God says, okay, you can do that if you want, and God's just going to let us experience the natural consequences of our plans, which every time will be that. All right? It will be that. Um, so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. All right, we have to come to the point where we understand that we are not the answer to our problems. All right, the issues that you're going to face in life that you are facing, the problems that you're going to have, you and I are not the answer to those problems. God is the answer. Jesus has the plan, the only plan that is foolproof, right? It's not you, it's not me. Jesus has that plan. Do you know that God has never had a plan fail? He's never had a plan backfire. He's never been surprised by something that's happened. God's never had a plan fail. He's never been shocked 
by the things that have happened to you in your life. God's never been thrown off kilter like, oh man, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did this. What are we going to do now? God has never been up in heaven wringing his hands trying to figure out what his next step is going to be. God has always had perfect control. God has always had a perfect plan for each and every one of us. The question is, are we going to let him have control of our life? So we've seen, first of all, who is the leader of your plan going to be? Now, secondly, we'll see the the focus of our plans. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 of Proverbs 16 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Verse 16, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Then verse 19, It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So this first set of verses talked about that battle for control. I think this second set of verses talks about a battle for worship. What is going to be the main focus, the main driving force in your life? It's either ultimately, again, going to be you or God. Verse 8 talks about, is our focus on godliness or is our focus on riches? Verse 16 talks about, is our focus on wisdom, gaining biblical wisdom, or is it on gaining wealth? Verse 19, is our focus on humility, or is our focus on materialism, getting the most that we can here and now in this life? Ask yourself this, how much of your time, your energy, your focus is spent on how you can make more money? And then ask yourself, how much of your time, your energy, your focus is spent on how you can have a closer walk with Jesus? And that will reveal what is the main focus of your heart, what is the main focus of your plans for your life. You know, we we plan for so many things in life that we have absolutely zero control over, right? We're all slaves to the stock market here. If it goes up, we're all happy. If it goes down, we're devastated. But how many of you here have control over what that stock market does? No one. So why do we get so hung up on it? Why do we plan as if we know what's going to happen? But you know what you and I do have control over? It's our personal relationship with God. It's an invitation that says, look, you're as close to God right now as you want to be. If you're far away from God, it's not God's fault. It's mine. It's yours, right? How much time, energy, focus are you putting into your walk with God? That is what's going to last forever. And guess what? You have control over how close you are with God. Jesus, 100% man, our perfect example, right? What did he focus on when he was on earth? It wasn't getting a sweet house so he and his disciples could have a place to stay, wasn't on getting the best clothes to impress the crowds that he was preaching to. He wasn't planning on going far in his career as a carpenter, right? Once he was 30, that kind of went by the wayside, right? All of the people that Jesus met, all of the places that he went, we see that, that he had a singular focus, accomplishing the mission given to him by the Father to share the gospel. That was the singular focus of Jesus. Why? How could Jesus do that? It's because he knew that he was only here for a short time. 
And he had a mission that he had to accomplish, right? It was not an optional thing of whether or not Jesus was going to fulfill the mission that God the Father had given to him. It was a thing that had to be done, and he knew he had a short amount of time, and then he was going to die. Why do you and I act like we're any different than that? Why do we act like we're going to be here forever? Why do we act like we're not going to die? How do you know you're even going to be able to experience the blessings of that retirement fund you're working on so hard? How often have we neglected God's mission in order to fulfill our own plans for our life, to gain more here, to be wealthy here, right? How sad will it be if you and I enter eternity with a bank account, with a retirement fund that is far greater than our eternal investments, right? How sad will that be? How foolish will we feel in that moment to say, man, I spent my time, my energy, my life pursuing these things that now have absolutely zero value, zero meaning. And now I'm standing in the presence of God, and I feel like I don't even know him because I spent my whole life focused on something other than him. May that not be said of you and me here this morning. You know, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, right? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, You know, some people have the ability to be both wise and wealthy, right? For some people, they just just have that blessing, right? But when given the choice, Proverbs shows us that every single time, we need to choose godly wisdom. We need to choose righteousness. We need to choose godliness and holiness over riches, over our careers, over wealth every single time. That is true wisdom. So we've seen who is going to be the leader of our plans. And now who is going to be the the focus of our plans. Now finally, we'll see the result of our plans. So if you're following God, you're going to have one result. If you're following your own plan, your own path, there is going to be a much different result. And I think this is our battle for eternity, right? This again is going to be our plan versus the plan of God. Let's look at verse Um, 2 and 25. Verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Verse 25, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So verse 2, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. You know, you and I tend to think pretty highly of ourselves. Right? Even even if we struggle with low self-esteem, We tend to think pretty well of ourselves. You ask most people, hey, are you a good person? In general, most people will give you an answer that leans toward, yes, yeah, I'm a good person. You know, I I try to live a decent life, haven't killed anybody. You know, I'm a pretty good guy, you know. I'm a pretty good woman. That's kind of like our standard, right? I haven't killed anybody, so I must be good, you know. That's not the biblical standard, though, right? Everyone in our own minds, we can look at people Here at church, say, man, I've never done that. I've never said that. Never had that problem. I must be pretty good. Because you're comparing yourself to other people. That's not the comparison that God makes. You know, if you're good, right, this is is the logic that we have. If you're good, if, if I'm a good person, haven't killed anybody, good people go to heaven, right? Bad people, people who kill people, they go to hell, right? That's the, that's the logic. That makes sense. But that is not the biblical path. 
right? God has shown us his plan. In verse 25, he says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? There is a way that seems right to us. Like, man, this just makes sense, right? It makes sense that if I do good works, if I'm kind, if I'm nice, that I'm going to end up in heaven, right? Because I'm not a jerk. I'm not a bad guy. How could God not accept me? That makes sense, right? But there's a way that seems right. But God is telling us here, he's warning us. He's trying to give us wisdom. That way leads to death. Because the problem is we make ourselves what is the judge of good and evil, right? We make ourselves the arbiters of that. We take the uh, advice and the morality of our culture or the laws of the land, uh, Oprah, your grandma, whatever. We, we take their version of morality, make it our own, and say, yeah, I'm a pretty decent person, I think. And we neglect the message of the gospel that says that we are all in need of salvation and you can't earn it, right? You know, God is the judge. God has said that if you have ever sinned once, if you've ever done anything wrong at all, guess what? You're not a good person. And so, therefore, if you're not good, you don't end up in heaven, right? And so God here is trying to warn us, look, there's a way that will seem right to you. All of the advice, all of the books, all of the websites are going to make a lot of sense. They can make you feel really good. But he's warning us, it leads us to death. I have another video here. I think it's a great example of what it looks like when we create our own path to heaven. Let's watch. I like that. Religious. Are you religious? Do no. you believe in something? Anything? Yeah, I believe in me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you don't believe in anything else? Anything else? Well, and, you know, and it's a religious thing. Like, is it in God or is it in, like, is there something like that? Well, I, you, you can separate God from religion, mm-hmm. which is what I do. I believe in God. I believe in me. Same person. <laughs> yeah. Stunning, right? That a man could point to himself and say, yeah, me. I'm God. I'm God. I have a feeling his two ex-wives would disagree, but that is us, right? That is us when we reject the plan and the path of God that says, look, God, I've got this. I'm in control. We are, in effect, doing the exact same thing. We're saying, you know what? Me. I'm God. Because, look, God, you have a plan, but I think my plan's better. Right, God, you have a timeline. I think my timeline's better. God, you want me to go this direction? This way looks better. And we are, in effect, doing the exact same thing, saying, me, God, that's me. I'm in control of my life. Uh, You know, that's every religion, whether it calls itself Christianity or not, that says, you know what, you are good enough to enter heaven on your own. Every path, every religion will end up in the same place. You just find what works for you. You be the judge of your morality and as long as you're not hurting anybody, you'll end up in the same place as us, right? That's the world's wisdom. And God is warning us that is a path that leads to death. The Bible continually reveals what we are apart from the goodness of God. And we are never good, right? Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> Sorry. The Bible shows us, though, the condition of our hearts is that at our core, at our root, we are not good people. We are sinners, 
we have done wrong, and so we need salvation. If we weren't so desperately wicked, God would not have sent his son Jesus to die. If, if you and I could have worked it out on our own, he would have let us, believe me. The Son of God would not have come down, been tortured, beaten, and crucified if you and I could have done it on our own, right? God would not have gone to such extreme lengths. And so the Bible says that our sins necessitate a death. There is an eternal consequence for the wrong things that we have done. So someone has to die for the sins that you and I have done. That's the bad news. But then Proverbs, again, is going to show us the wisdom and the goodness of God. Look with me at verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Steadfast, unfailing love. God's love for you has always been the same. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You can be good the rest of your life. Guess what? God's love for you is already maxed out. You can mess up from this day on the rest of your life. Guess what? God's love is going to stay maxed out for you. His love for us does not change. His love for us isn't going, on, it's not going anywhere. It's steadfast, unfailing love. And then it says, and faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, even when we, just like kids, thumb our noses at God, say, God, thanks, no thanks. I don't want it. I think my way is better. I think my plan's better. Even then, God still reaches out lovingly, trying to bring us back, to try to save us from the path that we're on. God is constantly showing us the faithful, unfailing love that he has. And then he says, iniquity is atoned for. Right? Iniquity, our sins, the fact that we are not naturally good people, has been atoned for. Jesus covered your sin and my sin. Jesus took away your sin and my sin on the cross. That's the, that's the awesome news, right? Is that, yeah, we're not good people. We don't have the natural wisdom in ourselves to make perfect plans for now or for eternity. But Jesus has come and he has taken our place. He's taken away our sins so that we can experience a more intimate relationship with him so we can be with him in heaven forever. And then we see a phrase that we see over and over and over again in Proverbs. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of a wisdom. Right? We see that over and over again in Proverbs that the, the fear of the Lord is what drives us to have true wisdom. The fear of the Lord that says, wow, God, I am not good. I can't plan my life on my own. I don't want to plan my life on my own. And that will drive us to turn away from evil. That will drive us to turn away from evil to Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible calls repentance. Right? That's what the fear of the Lord will drive you towards. Because as we take an honest look at ourselves, think about your, your best qualities, your worst qualities. Do you really want to be the one in charge of your life? Do you really want to be the final authority that you know for sure that your plan is going to work out for all eternity? Or do you want to look to the one who already knows, who's already provided a solution and say, you know what, I'm going to give him 
control. I'm going to let him lead. I'm going to follow him. And God has provided that solution for us. The question is only whether or not you and I will submit to that. Verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So whoever gives thought to the word, what word? The word of God. This word of of warning and this word of blessing, right? Look, warning, look, there's a way that seems right to you. It's going to appeal to you, but it leads to death. And this word of blessing saying, look, there's already been an atonement, a payment made for your sin and my sin. All you have to do is accept it and follow me. Follow this path, and God has promised you salvation. So here and now, we can be blessed. If you follow God now in this life, you will experience blessing. Right? Your life, again, may not—it will not be perfect. It may not turn out exactly the way that you expect it to. But if God is at the helm of your life, he has promised to get you where he wants you to be. He's promised that he will make us more and more and more like Christ, which is our purpose. And he's promised to use us to draw other people to himself. Right? That's the only reason why you and I are, are still here. Why is it that once you're Christian, you don't automatically get taken up to heaven? It's because there are people here that we still need to share the gospel with. And that is our mission, and that is our job. And of course, there's the eternal blessing of salvation, right? The fact that we will eventually be truly good people. We will eventually be in the presence of our Savior. We will eventually no longer have to deal with temptations or trials or struggles or pain or fear. There will come a day when God delivers us completely and totally from those things. So perfect planning. It's not going to come from you. It's not going to come from me. It can only come from Jesus Christ, both for this life and forever, right? But it's up to us. Am I going to say, look, I want to be in control. I want to do things my way. You can, but like that guy on the skateboard, you're just going to fall off. You're going to face plant. You're going to fail. Or we can listen to what Solomon here is trying to tell us. And look, God has a perfect plan. All you have to do is say, God, I want you to take the lead of my life. If you would close your eyes for a moment this morning, I want to invite you to respond to what God has shown us in Proverbs chapter 16. The, the question of eternity is the most important question that you will ever consider. God has a perfect plan of salvation for us, for you. And if you died today, what would it be like for you to stand before God? You know, right now, someone ultimately calls the shots in your life. And it it boils down to either being you or it boils down to being God. So Jesus came as our Savior to take away our sin, to take our punishment, to pay the debt that we could not pay. And now he calls on each and every single one of us to say, if you have not given control of your eternity eternity over to me, then today is the day of salvation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fully received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you given control of your plans, your life, your eternity over to Jesus? If not, there will be people down in front who will love to talk with you about that. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you have already given God control of your eternity, 
ask yourself, how much of control does he have on your daily life? How often have you consulted with him? God, what should I do? Where should I go? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? God has a plan for us as his children as well. I want to ask you this morning if you realize that maybe you've been the focus of your plans. Maybe you've been the sole leader of your plans. Come to God this morning and say, God, I'm sorry for trying to take control away from you. I want you to be the leader. I want you to be in control. Humbly submit your plans to him, trusting that he is good. He loves you, and his plan for you is far better than anything you could dream of. If God is speaking to you this morning, come forward or pray in your seat as Marty and the worship team sing.